Thank you for choosing this podcast. It's our pleasure to share with you the word of the Lord. Proverbs 23.12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Join us as Pastor Jim Bunch shares God's word with the people at Christian Outreach Center in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This morning, I want to preach this message, teach this message on finding closure. As I said previously, because of a few things. Number one, the events that have transpired in our community with Chris Newsom and and, um, Shannon Christian, who were brutally murdered, and the trial that's now going on of those accused of that murder. And watching the family and trying to put myself in their shoes and saying, how would I deal with this? How would I find closure? If I had to go to that courtroom and hear all of the gruesome details and see the gory pictures, and that was my child, and there sat the people that did it, how would I deal with that? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, It's easy to say... One thing, if you haven't been there, it's quite another if you were there. Uh, I know this, that the Holy Spirit has urged me to preach this message on finding closure. For that reason, but also for this reason. Over the last few months, I have spoken to a number of believers, both here in this area and in other places, And it seemed to me that the Holy Spirit had just turned up the volume in my ears to hear their call, their need for closure on some issue. Whether it be a relationship that went bad, a romantic relationship, a marriage, whether it be over some abuse or neglect that happened to them either as a spouse or a child. It may have been some type of an incident that no one really was to blame per se. It was an event or an incident that just happened, but you became the victim of it. A victim, shall we say. But there's also another issue, another thing that prompted me to do this. And it is the fact that, friends, until we find closure... And you're going to hear me repeat this in this message this morning. Until we find closure, we are going to spend a lot of time, a lot of energy, and perhaps even a lot of money on the emotional baggage that we are carrying around. It's going to prevent us from being, from reaching our full potential in terms of creativity and productivity. We are going to be functioning at less than full potential if we are still dealing with excess baggage from the past. Now, I'm going to come at it, I'm going to use this term closure from the field of psychology or sociology, not from the term, not from the field of science or mathematics, because it is also used there. It has been popularized by TV shows such as Dr. Phil and others. And I even have some information from Dr. Phil. Don't know if I'll get to share that this morning. There is such a thing as cognitive closure. 
And that has been defined as definite knowledge on some issue and dealing with the confusion and ambiguity that arose out of that issue. So then, for our purposes this morning, let me define what I mean when I say finding closure. The need to find closure. Closure is a feeling that all of the final emotional loose ends have been tied up to our satisfaction. I wish I had my PowerPoint that I'd not been using lately, but I just haven't had the time. Let me say it again. Closure is a feeling. Now, we're dealing a lot with emotion here, but friends, emotion has a tremendous impact on our being. Closure is a feeling that all of the final emotional loose ends have been tied up to our satisfaction and there is no remaining unfinished emotional business that we need to take care of before moving on with our life. That's what I mean by closure. Now, some of you are very analytical. And you're going to listen to this message, whether here in this sanctuary or out there on the podcast or wherever. And you're going to say, okay, give me three, five, seven, ten steps to finding closure. And you're not going to find it. So I'm going to do for you a very special favor. Have you ever received a message on your cell phone or voicemail at work? The person comes on and they don't say who they are and they go through five minutes of telling you their problem and then at the very end they give you their name and phone number. For all of you that do that, God help you. And God help the person who has to wade through that. When you leave a voicemail, leave your name, speak clearly, and your phone number. So that when they listen to all the rest of it, they don't have to go back and listen to the whole thing all over again to get your phone number. Now, here's your steps for those who are very analytical. Wrote them down for you. Steps toward finding closure. Are you ready? Write them down. And if you don't get them written down, that's okay. Listen to the podcast or get the CD. You won't have to listen to all of it all over again. You'll have them right at the very front. How's that? Is that not good? Here it is. Number one, take responsibility for your actions or your inactions. Do a little historical perspective here. I mean, go back and... Ask yourself concerning the event, the circumstance, the incident, the relationship. Did you make an honest attempt at resolution? This is still step number one. Did you make an honest attempt at resolution? If you did, skip to step number two. If you didn't, there's more. If not, why not? Why did you not try to work through it? When it happened, was it fear? Was it resentment, bitterness, anger? If so, repent now and go to step two. Step two. Did you learn anything from the experience? Did you learn anything 
from the experience. Now, be specific. Otherwise, repent. Make what you learned part of your character. This is still step number two. Make what you learned part of your character. Number three, step number three. Write down your goals and objectives. Now, this is important. What stymies us, what stalls us, what puts us in neutral, what gets us stuck is we don't have specific goals and objectives. Start with one week, maybe even one day. Put it down. I'm going to do this. Because oftentimes what happens is we become paralyzed emotionally. So write down, step number three, write down your goals and objectives for this coming week, for this coming month, and even for the next year. Be specific. Number four, simple, teach others. Remember I said you learn something from it? Teach others. Be proactive. Do something with what you have gained. Turn this from being a roadblock into a launching pad. Teach others. Number five, last one. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And then rejoice some more. That's it. There's your five steps. Now, for those of us who are interested in the big picture, those of you who are very analytical, you've got all you need, you can leave. You can turn it off. I don't think you will. But anyway, here's the bigger picture when it comes to finding closure. There is even, believe this or not, there is even, there is research that has been done and a scale developed to determine if you need closure. And it's simply called that. NFCS, Need for Closure Scales. I'm not going to bore you with all the scientific stuff. I'm just going to give you a bottom line. People who have an extreme need for closure tend to have a distaste for ambiguity. They detest a lack of organization and planning. They're very analytical to an extreme. And as a result, they have difficulty, if they don't get their closure, they have difficulty being creative and productive. Those who are less apt to need closure tend to be more creative and more productive. Now, that's just what that study found. I, I don't tell you that that's the gospel. I'm just telling you that that has been done. The research has been done. And I will also be honest with you and tell you that the results of that research has been questioned. Okay? I went far enough to investigate and find out that not everybody accepts the results of that, that research. Now, the reason we need to find closure is that we have unresolved hurt that will prevent us from being able to function effectively. I believe that God wants us functioning at our peak performance. How about you? I want to be my best for Him.
I want to be the best that I can be for Jesus. Hurt is one of the number one killers of effectiveness because it controls the correct functioning of the emotions which perverts our thinking processes. We think all about the wrong things when we are hurt because we allow the hurt to wreck our emotions. We have a train wreck emotionally. Hurts cause us to say things we shouldn't say. Hurts cause us to do things we shouldn't do. Hurts cause us to react in ways when, that we shouldn't, that we regret later. All of this because of our emotions have been affected and infected. We must learn how to not let the hurt penetrate and permeate our souls. Anything that controls your emotions at the time controls your thought processes. The worst decisions were made in times of hurt. Decisions that are sometimes, that we sometimes spend the rest of our lives trying to correct. And yes, friend, you can be hurt in a marriage, you can be hurt in a family, you can be hurt in a church. So, this morning, I'm not going to promise you that this is a a panacea, that this is a, uh, that I have a magic wand or that there is a one size fits all and that everybody's going to leave here this morning saying, "Ah, I'm so glad we got closure. No, I'm going to give you some tools to work with and hopefully this is a beginning, not an end. Some of you are dealing with hurts that go way, way, way back. Some of you have buried them. At times, when somebody pokes you in just the right spot, you explode. And you don't know why. It's because there is a hurt there. I mean, think about it for a minute, church. When Jack had his broke ribs and broke foot and broke body after falling, if I'd have come up to Jack and I'd have... Just not not intending to, but if I had just wrapped my arm around his waist real quick and squeezed him, what do you think Jack would have done? With that other good hand, he would have laid me out, right? And why? Because I suddenly invaded a hurt spot in his body. Emotionally, it's the same way. When we're talking about closure, we're talking about emotion. Some of us need to have closure of our old life of sin by accepting Jesus as our Lord right now, right here today. Is He Lord of your life or did you just get religion? If you just got religion, you missed out on the good stuff and you still have a baggage of sin, hurt, disappointment, and confusion that you're carrying around with you. The New International Version in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any person be in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Not a religion. A new creation. 
How many of you have had this experience where you became a new person? How many? Amen? How many? All of you? Has everybody had this experience? Has anybody not had this experience? If you haven't had this experience, you are missing out on the wonder of God. Because God invades you. God does something fantastic in you. He washes away all the sin. In fact, the Bible says that He throws it as far as the east is from the west. Now, this is closure. When God removes your old life and your old sin, as far as the east is from the west, it's a continuous line. It's like if you took off from here right now and you said, I'm going to go toward California... And you went, you got to California, and instead of going around the globe, you just went off into the, into space. Would you ever come back right here? No. You never would. You just keep on going. And so it is with your life when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He removes that old life, He removes that old sin, and He gives you a new perspective and a new life in Him. Let me just move past that. Is there anybody here that has not had this experience of being born again? Raise your hand right now. Okay? Think about it. I'll give you another opportunity before this service is over. Our history, Watchman Nee said, our history ends at the cross. Our, our old history ends at the cross. Our new history begins at the resurrection. God wants you to live in resurrection life. A church father, early church father said, Trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. Now let's talk about for a minute closure versus justice. See, that's what I got as I listened to these two parents, sets of parents talking about their child. Do they want closure or do they want justice? You say, well, Jim, justice has got to be part of closure, doesn't it? Yes, to some extent it does. But what if you never get justice to your satisfaction? What if you never get um, restitution? Let's say that somebody stole something from you. Sometimes I hear wives say, you know, pastor, I got married very young. And I feel like I missed out on so much. And I try to help them work through this and see, you really didn't miss out on very much, trust me. You have a family, you have a husband that loves you. You work on that. Many times, men and women go through what we call a midlife crisis. They feel like they have missed out on something, and so they go out and have a sexual fling with someone, and wreck their marriage, wreck their home, and then they sit around scratching their head and saying, Why in the world did I do that? Hmm. Maybe you felt like you needed justice. You needed restitution. Let me use another word, revenge. Revenge. Do you want closure or do you want justice, restitution, or revenge? There may be situations where you will never be able to get restitution or revenge. What are you going to do then? The guys who flew those planes died in those towers along with all the other people. 
What are the victims going to do? The government gave them a lot of money. Will that, will that, will that take the place of their lives of their loved ones? No. Will, will seeing these men that committed these horrible crimes, like one of them has just gotten a life sentence without parole, the next one may well get the death penalty, is that going to bring their children back? Do you think that's going to satisfy their desire for restitution or revenge or justice? Is that going to bring closure? No. It's going to take something more to bring closure, isn't it? And so it is with you. You say, I don't have anything that severe, and I understand that, but there are issues where hurts have been inflicted on you, whether it be by an individual, a circumstance, an event, an incident, and you carry that with you. What about the the young lady who was uh, abused sexually as a child? How does she get past that? How does she deal with that? What if the person who did the abuse is dead? What do you do? How do you get past that? How do you find closure? You know? Well, let's talk about that a little bit this morning and see. Here, listen to this. I want you to open your Bible. You're going to think this is strange. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 12. You're going to, you're going to ask yourself, why in the world is he talking from that scripture? But stay with me, because I have something to show you from this scripture. Luke chapter 12. Verse 13 to 15. Those who are seeking closure but are confused about restitution, justice, and revenge. Listen to these words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and beginning at verse number 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, I'm guessing, as you are, that the context is that probably there is an inheritance that should have been shared, but one of the brothers took it all. Now, I don't know beyond that what might have been the circumstances. The father didn't leave a will. The father didn't leave instructions. I don't know. But one of the brothers is feeling slighted, cheated out of his inheritance. And he comes to Jesus. Now, why do you suppose he came to Jesus? He saw Jesus as an authority figure. And he hasn't got justice anywhere else. And so he brings it to Jesus. And he says to Jesus, I want you to fix this. I want you to make my brother give me my inheritance. Now, parents, have you ever been there where you were forced into this position of refereeing between two children? Don't raise your hands. Every one of you has been there. What does Jesus do? He says to this individual, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Whoa, that must have took him back a minute. And he said unto them, 
Jesus then says to the whole crowd, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. When I first read that, I said, What a strange response. But then as I began to pray and look deeper and closely at that, here's what the issue I see is. This man wanted justice. He didn't want closure. He wanted justice. He wanted restitution. And he may have even been vengeful. And Jesus deals with the root of that. You feel like something has been taken from you. Listen, nothing has been taken from you but what God cannot restore. Can you say amen? And so... Jesus was saying to him, leave it lay. Because your life doesn't consist in the abundance of things, but it consists in knowing me as your Lord and Savior. Let this thing close. Move on. Now, let me read a little farther here and go to Luke 12:58. Luke 12:58. When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he hail thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer deliver thee or cast thee into prison. What is this? Jesus is saying, seek closure. Quit living your life always looking for justice, restitution, and revenge. How many times have we heard people say that God, that, 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 um, what is it? Um, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. How many of you believe that? How many of you believe that if you were in the parents of these two young Boy and girl, man and woman, you could say that. You could leave it. How many of you believe you could do that? Just think about it for a minute. It's easier said than done, isn't it? If you, if you came upon someone who had molested your child and there was nobody around, what would you do? If you came up on your home, you came home one evening and you found your wife murdered, your children murdered. And the guy standing there with blood on his hands, what would you do? You see, this is the reason that I'm not a police officer. This is the reason that I don't work in medicine. Because I don't know. I don't know that I would do the responsible thing. You say, well, sure you would. You're a pastor. Yeah, after they pried that weapon from my cold, dead hands, I might be amiable toward resolution. After I had emptied every round in it into that person's body, I might return to my vocation as a pastor. But there might be a momentary lapse of Sanity, huh? That would be any of us. But to live in that for the rest of my life would be destructive. 
You see? Believers, now let's talk to believers. Believers must seek reconciliation with other believers. We do not have a choice in this. We must seek reconciliation with other believers. Here's the scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar... First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now that's difficult to swallow, is it not? Do you wonder sometimes why your worship, why your prayers are being hindered? Is it just possible that you have some unresolved Baggage. You have some baggage from the past. You have situations. You, you have some dangling ends. You have some unfinished business. Emotional baggage. Is that possible? Is that, is that preventing you from worshiping? Is that preventing you from moving on with God? We must seek reconciliation. Now, what is reconciliation? Reconciliation has as its goal restoration. You see, some people confuse reconciliation with forgiveness. Forgiveness is just part of reconciliation. We are to work through the problem and there must be forgiveness on both sides. Of the, of the table there must be heartfelt real forgiveness and then we are to work toward rebuilding the relationship here's what happens here's what happens I get hurt in church I get hurt by another believer and I go to them, maybe I even do this much, and I go to them and tell them they have hurt me, and you're supposed to do that. And I, and they say, I'm sorry I hurt you, please forgive me. But I don't believe them. Why? Why don't I believe them? Do I feel they're insincere? Maybe they haven't yet come to the full knowledge of how they hurt me. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Let that go. Work on. But instead, what do I do? Nine times out of ten, in my experience as a pastor, the person runs. They run away. They run away. And they deal with it for the next several months and years of their life. Why? Because they did not resolve it fully. They were not reconciled. They broke off the process. And consequently, they will deal with it for weeks and months and years to come. Why? Because it's a natural tendency to want closure. When we've been hurt... 
We want it healed. We want it fixed. We want to, we want to, we want to move on, but we can't. We're stuck. Reconciliation entails the following. Honest acknowledgement of the harm, injury each party has inflicted on the other. My experience in church referee and refereeing church fights is that it is seldom just one person's doing. It's usually two or three people that were involved that caused it. In other words, there are no, what we would say, really, truly innocent parties once you get down to the bottom of it. You realize that Things were said, even unintentionally things were done that were misinterpreted, but nevertheless were done that need apologies and that need to be forgiven. That's true in marriage, isn't it? How many times have you worked with married couples and, and married couples will say to you, it's their fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. Can I give you the bottom line on this? You can live the rest of your life trying to blame your partner for the failure of the marriage. Or you can do this. You can say the goal of the marriage was not just to uh, buy a house and have kids. But the goal of the marriage was that we become one person. One. We failed to achieve that. We failed to achieve that. We failed to achieve that. It was had to be a team effort. Are you with me? If the team goes out on the field, if the Vols went out on the field yesterday and lost that game and went back into the locker room and said, it was Compton's fault. He's the quarterback. Or, it's the coach's fault. What is the bottom line? What is the truth? They're a team. They lost as a team. A marriage by design is a team. If it fails, you have failed. Admit it. Admit it. And move on. Get forgiveness for it. Don't spend the rest of your life saying, well, you know what? It might have worked out if... Maybe I should have done this. Or if they had done this, you will spend your entire life working through that and never get through it. Just simply say, the marriage failed, I failed, he failed, she failed, we failed, whatever, to achieve the goal of the marriage, and it failed. Now let's move on. Sincere regrets and remorse for the injury done. Readiness to apologize for one's role in inflicting the injury. See, whether you intended to or not doesn't matter. If you hurt somebody, apologize. Readiness of conflicting parties to let go of the anger and bitterness caused by the conflict and the injury. Commitment by the offender not to repeat the injury. Sincere effort to redress past grievances that caused the conflict and compensate the damage caused to the extent possible. Entering into a new, mutually enriching relationship. See, believers don't have the option, by the Word of God now, 
Believers do not have the option of getting mad at each other and running off to our corner and sucking our thumb. We are not allowed that option. Are you with me? How many of you have been hurt in church? Raise your hand. That's just about everybody. Do you remember how you worked through it? Did you work through it? What did you do? How many of you, by a show of hands, might as well come to grips with it right now, ran off? Raise your hand. (laughs) We have pastors, we have teachers, we have elders, we have deacons. Their purpose there is to promote the unity of the body and help us work through it. I am going to be more reluctant in the future to make people members of this body unless they commit to a covenant to not get rabbit in their feet and run off if they get their feelings hurt. Because folks, these are the last days we're leaving in. We cannot afford to live like that. That's the way the world lives. We need to be responsible to the body. We need to be invested in the body. We need to care about the body. All right. There's so much more in that, but I'm going to move on. The necessity of forgiveness. The necessity... I need to preach, I need to preach a whole message on reconciliation. I know that, and I will someday. But what's stewing in my spirit right now for next Sunday is lawlessness. Lawlessness is running rampant in this land right now. And, and before we blame it on a spirit, I want to I give you a heads up. When I preach that message, whether it be next Sunday or the Sunday following, I'm not going to blame it on a spirit. I'm going to ask every single person that hears the message to be responsible for their own obedience. But that's another message. What about forgiveness? Is it necessary? How many of you believe that obtaining forgiveness is necessary? Raise your hand. That's everybody. How many of you believe it is necessary for you to forgive? Raise your hand. How many of you can say honestly right now before me, before everybody else in here and before God himself that there is absolutely no prisoners in your dungeon that you have chained to the wall praying for God to zap them? Hmm? 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 I had a brother one time, Herb Shanafeld. Herb, if you're listening to this, you know I'm talking about you. We were praying one time and Herb quoted an Old Testament scripture and he said, God, cut them off at the knees. And I go, whoa, Herb. He said, it's scriptural. I said, no doubt it is. But wow, I'm not there yet, Herb. Some of you, though you haven't maybe spoken it in the presence of others, I'd bet you any amount. Never mind. You've, you've said it. Listen to Matthew 18, 34 and 35, and you're not going to like this. I can tell you right now, 
you're not going to like it. But it's important for you to hear it. Matthew chapter 18. Forgiveness is more than an emotion. Forgiveness is an act. An act of obedience. Don't tell me that you have forgiven me, but you can't stand the sight of me. Hmm? Hmm? Don't tell me that you have forgiven me, but if I encounter you in the mall, you go the other direction. (laughs) I'm not going to believe you. Why? Because your actions belie your words. Or at least the sincerity of your words. So here it is. Matthew chapter 18, verse 34 to 35. This is a modern version, so bear with me. You can read it from the King James. It won't help you. Still going to nail your hide to the wall. No matter which translation you use. It did me. The master was very angry. Jesus is telling a story to illustrate a spiritual principle. The master was very angry. He's angry with a servant that he had forgiven that went out and did not forgive someone who owed him something. The master was very angry, so he put the servant in prison to be punished. And the servant had to stay in prison until he could pay everything he owed. Stop for just a minute. Listen to me. This is a real life example that Jesus is using. And that day, if you owed a debt, the one to whom you owed the debt had the right to put you in prison. Now, we, we are a little bit beyond that in America. But would you not do it if you had the opportunity? Are you looking for closure or justice, restitution, revenge? What are you looking for? Will you be able to attain or find closure if you do not get justice, restitution, or revenge. Now Jesus takes that story and makes an application. This king did the same as my heavenly Father will do to you. Ouch. You must truly forgive your brother or sister or my heavenly Father will not forgive you. Forgiveness is not optional. God is gracious and merciful until He finds those to whom He has freely dispensed mercy and they withhold it from others. What do we call a person like that? Say it. It starts with an H. It has a Y, a P, O, C, R, I, T, E. The key principle of mercy and grace is this. It must be shared when it is received or it is never appreciated. I want you to look at that text again. 
it says that the king was what? He was angry. The, the master was angry. You want to make, you want to get God upset with you? You want to get God angry with you? Just don't forgive. Huh? How many of you want God angry at you? How many of you want God to slap you upside the head? How many of you believe God can get angry? Some of you don't believe God can get angry. Some of you think that anger, anger is, is just not part of God's uh, ability or His nature. You don't, you don't think God can get angry. God can get angry and sin not. So can you. The Bible says that God will get angry with you, friend, if you don't forgive. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't want God to get angry with you. It ain't a pretty sight. You will not come away unscathed. I have some personal testimony from two people that you know, Scott and Terry Ormond. They went through a very difficult experience at a church. And she said, it's been a process of emotions to work through. And she said, and that's the key for us. As painful as it was, we still had to go through a painful process that took time. And after a while of praying, she said, we started to feel sorry for the persons or persons because they probably still did not know the extent of the pain they had caused us. And she said, get this, guess who allowed them to remain there? We could not have learned what we had to learn, she said, if we didn't stick it out and go through the whole process. This is what I'm telling you, church. Believers need to learn to work through their problems to resolution. The process of reconciliation has as its goal restoration, not disillusion. It is never a good thing for us to say, well, bless God, I'm glad that old troublemaker's out of church finally. <laughs> now we can move on, bless God. No. That's a business. That's not a church. Down here to local business, they have a, they have a, they have a, 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 a legal right to refuse you service. They do. Any business does. But as a church, we do not have a legal right to divide the body. It's His body. I don't have a legal right to say to you, Brother Larry, well, bless God, you've hurt me, so I'm just going to take my marbles and go home. I don't have a legal right to do that. I have a legal obligation by the Word of God to say to you, Brother Larry, you hurt me. And wait for you to come to the full understanding of that to the point where your heart breaks and my heart breaks and we cry. Listen, you are not repentant. You are not sorrowful to repentance. 
until you shed tears over it. It isn't just a mental thing. It's both a heart and a head thing. Until it hurts you that your brother or sister is hurt to the point that you want them healed and you haven't worked through reconciliation. You have stopped too quickly. You need to get back in the game and finish the process. You say, well now Jim, what if I can no longer contact those people? What if that's history and they're gone? What do I do? You're going to have to let God help you then. If you cannot work with them, you're going to have to let God help you. I'm going to suggest something to couples who are dating. If you're dating someone and that relationship comes to a point where you realize it needs to end, and you say to that person, I'm sorry, but we're breaking up, don't just dump that on them and take off. Come back and sit down with them and have a session where you talk through it and agree, at least if you can't agree to separate, agree to disagree, so that when you leave that relationship, you got closure. You understand what I'm saying? Don't drag that thing with you for the next ten years. Meet with that person and go through it. Terry said that years ago when her and Scott were having problems and they were on the brink of divorce, and I got permission to share this, I've got it in writing. Terry said, I was praying and, I, and God showed me two roads. And he said, Terry, you can take either one of these roads. One road is stay with Scott and work through it. The other road is leave Scott and go your own way. He said, one road, I'll be with you. The other road, I will not. He said, if I am with you, you know that I will do you good and there will be a good outcome. If you go your own way, no telling what's going to happen. She said, I chose the path with God. And it took time. wasn't easy. But both parties were invested in that relationship and they worked through it. Whenever you have a relationship where one party is not willing to invest in that relationship, it will never work. I don't care how good a counselor you've got or how much money you got or how much you pray. If one party has determined this relationship is over, it's not going to work, you might as well cut your losses and pull out. Because you can't make it work unless there's two people invested in it. Nobody can. Not even God. That's why Moses was given permission for a written of divorce. The Bible says very clearly in the Old Testament that God allowed Moses to give a writing of divorcement because of the hardness of hearts. 
When two people are forced to stay together against their wills, they will turn on each other, they will be destructive, they will hurt each other, and they will hurt the children, and they will hurt other people. You know, you're saying, well now, Pastor, you're giving people an easy out for divorce here. No, I am not. No, I am not. Divorce is not a solution. Listen to me. It may, in some circumstances, be a necessity, but it is not a solution. Think about it long and hard before you go there. David Brown, when I posted that I was going to preach on this, he posted on another posting on Facebook, not related to that, didn't realize it even played into this. But I want you to listen to the, to the wisdom of this. And I, he, he got it from someplace, but he don't know. It says that the author is unknown. But listen to this. Stop trying to figure out how, how and why you got hurt. Your situation is not unique at all. Whether you were right or wrong means absolutely nothing at this point. All that matters is your willingness to move on in God and trust His mysterious workings in your life. Ephesians 4.32 says that we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Philippians 3.12 and 14, Paul said... I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God, in Christ Jesus. What is that? It's maturity. Can any of us, including myself, claim to have reached a point where we are just absolutely so wise and so smart and so mature in God that we will never need to grow anymore? No. Do we realize that sometimes God is going to put us in a circumstance or a situation to make us grow? Do we realize that sometimes we're going to be allowed, God is going to allow us to get into a circumstance or a situation that's rough for the purpose of maturing and growing us? He's not going to pull us out of it immediately. He's going to let us go through it. Why? Because He loves us. Because he cares more about the final outcome than the immediate gratification. Which is what this whole generation today is focused on. We're going to have communion. And I'm going to ask you to do this during this communion. Because this is communion. Communion is about finding closure. Communion is about coming to a point in our lives where we admit our failures because we want forgiveness. We want closure. Forgiveness in and of itself is not necessarily closure. A lot of stuff I have thrown out this morning I hope that if anything, I've stirred you up. And I've caused you to start thinking about 
working toward closure. If it involves somebody else, you need to talk to them. If you can. If they won't talk to you, if they won't listen to you, if they're not interested in closure, then you are going to have to just deal with it from your side of it and say, God, I forgive them. And I am not going to carry this for the rest of my life. You are a merciful God. You are my deliverer. You are my Savior. I'm going to let them go. And I'm going to let this go. And I'm going to start moving toward the future. Now, our communion is always open to everyone. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. There's only two requirements for participation in our communion. Number one, that you be born again. Number two, that you be willing to be led of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Be born again. Be willing to be led of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to let the Holy Spirit lead you right now. And I'm going to ask you to do a little soul searching. And I want you to get in your mind a focus on something that you need closure on. Something you need closure on. I, from the show of hands at different points during this message, I think every person here is working through something that they would like closure on. I'm not saying that taking this communion is going to automatically, mysteriously, supernaturally bring you closure. I'm saying this. When you come and get these emblems, please say to God, God... At least I'm going to start working toward closure. I'm going to do it proactively because I want to be more productive. I want to be more fruitful. I want to go on with my life. Randy's going to lead us in some worship. Everyone stand, please.